Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as always, I'm joined by... Spooky Beth. Gobo Sam. And I'm... Shit, hang on, one second. And I'm Caleb. Were those uh, metal pipe sound effects thrown in there? There was there was one metal pipe that fell down. I'm going to need to clean that up later. <laughs> I need to go. My uh, dad is calling. I have to leave urgently. This is a great start to an episode that I have no idea how it's going to go. <laughs> well, I had no idea how that was going to go either, so it's a good setup. Yeah, we are here once again. Uh, this will, like I said, it'll be a little bit of an, an oddball episode because we have a whole slew of things that we're going to talk about. If you've been listening along, you know that we finished the main book of Elantris last week. But given that we did a single three-ish hour episode on the entirety of part three, uh, there's some things that we need to just kind of, we needed to give a think about and then actually just talk about this whole book that we just read. Uh, there's also, given that this is the 10th anniversary edition, there is uh, some extra content in a variety of forms at the back of this book. There's more book in this book. So we'll do those things. We'll finally then wrap up Elantris. And then we'll be right away getting ready for our next book, which is uh, The Emperor's Soul. Uh, we don't quite have as much to go on in the kind of pre-book intro. Uh, but we're going to give it a look anyway and and see what we're what we're getting ready for. Let's do it. Hell yeah. Let's do it indeed. So yeah, the first things that we're going to go through is just the rest of the stuff that is in the physical Elantris book uh, in the order that we ran across it, which will kind of jump us around a bit, but there's not really a better order to do it. So we're going to start with this Ars Arcanum, which this is an interesting one. For me, and I'm very curious what Caleb and Sam, what you think of this, because the original Elantris Ars Arcanum, Brandon was still kind of trying to figure out like what kind of things he wanted to put in his books. And also the publisher had a lot more pull on what was going to go in the book. Uh, and so the original Elantris had a very short, uh, I think it was basically just a glossary and the table of aeons. That was about it. And as Brandon's books have gone on, they they now pretty much all have this in-universe, in-character kind of academic study. Uh, and when we got to Elantris' 10th anniversary, Brandon went back and made one for that. So this is kind of written under the assumption that you've read a lot more of the Cosmere than we have. And so there's going to be some stuff that just gets thrown out there, some of which for for like me when I first read the the 10th anniversary edition was also things that I didn't know. So there's some of that's just, you know, fun clues for later. But there are some things that we're kind of getting into earlier than I would expect. Uh, but I wasn't going to keep us from reading this. So read it, we did. Yeah, the uh, theme of Elantris of, my goodness, the vocabulary continues. But this time it's like, ooh, the vocabulary! <laughs> As capitalized words just keep popping up. So I... I very much enjoyed the Ars Arcanum. There's a lot of cool stuff in here. Am I to understand that this book originally had a glossary? Elantris had a glossary, and Brandon decided to take that away? 
in later editions. <laughs> uh, well, we still have the Aeon list. True. That covers about 10% of the vocab terms in this book. Yeah. <laughs> How will I remember what my pawn sticks are without the glossary? I don't, I don't know if anyone's been following. I'm pretty sure my pawn sticks has been a hashtag on every single Antris post on the Instagram <laughs> thing just because I thought it was that funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Mistborn trilogy that we started out with, that did have kind of an, Ar- an Ars Arcanum similar to the one you originally described, Justin, of glossaries. Um, I think most of the uh, descriptions of the magic were very just up front here is the author talking to the reader thing it didn't seem like it had too much of a pov so yeah i was very surprised to see a first person segment of someone like in universe trying Mm -hmm. to learn more about this stuff um and yeah it was really exciting yeah it was i don't know into it i don't have a ton to to contribute with the the rs arcana because it is quite short um but it is exciting to see a person try and puzzle out what the deal is with Andor, while exactly. we also try exactly. to puzzle out what the deal is with Andor. <laughs> yeah not only is it short but one of the sections ends with i don't know why this is the way that it is yeah i have no answer <laughs> homeboy struggling too <laughs> there's a couple of sections there's the the one on uh why is your birthplace so significant that just says I have no viable theories as to the reason for this. <laughs> uh, and then there's the other section, uh, which I think is the most interesting one to me personally, is the very last one, uh, studying who becomes an Elantrian. Because they're going to rattle off uh, a few things, and I will clarify slightly for Sam and Caleb here. Uh, the author here is talking about, you know, how... how how is it chosen who becomes a Lantrian? How do you get uh, the magic? It's not <laughs> uh, hereditary like it is on Skadriel, which we mm-hmm. saw. Uh, it's not a shard's decision as on Nalthus, which is a book that is out that Beth and I know what that is. Uh, and then it refers to Taldane's and Vax's methods, which we don't know what they are. Ooh. Oh, even you guys don't know? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> we, we, we have seen Taldane before, yes. but we don't know how that works right uh and then the author here says it seems like it's just random chance unless there's something i haven't figured out cool there's (laughs) you also missed a third one which is on the first page where the author is like why are the aeons shaped like erlon is that chicken or the egg which came first i have no answer no idea (laughs) but uh yeah i took a i took a lot of notes on these two pages um because yeah this is very this is very clearly you know someone who is traveling across the cosmere and trying to learn more stuff about it there's even like there's a very there's a very real possibility it's no one we know but i feel like there's two possible candidates for who could be writing this because one it's very academic someone who knows a lot about magic there's a slight chance it's sazed but i also feel like sazed's probably busy being a god on Skadriel is probably going <laughs> to mostly stick to that. But even before we get to the postscript section, we also know Hoyd's just fucking all over the place trying to figure stuff out. So there's a very good chance I feel like this could be Hoyd writing as well. Um, but it is, it's very interesting to try to piece together who's talking and why. 
Maybe it's just the impression that I've gotten from the roles Hoyt has had thus far, but I kind of get the impression that Hoyt is not, like, the scholarly type. I thought so, too. And I kind yeah, I kind of I kind of feel that. But Hoyt but, is full of surprises. Like, we don't know anything about him, really. That's true. <laughs> and he's clearly up to something. Like, he's trying to figure something out, even if he's not, like, a super scholarly type about it. So, I don't know. So, I have... I've just gone through... Uh, this is another absolutely lovely thing that the Sanderson fandom has done. Uh, there is a there's a section. It's not technically on the Coppermind wiki, but it's associated with the same site called Arcanum, uh, which is a an extremely searchable database of every Q and A that Brandon has ever done, <laughs> organized by like by date, by all sorts of tags, by what sort of event it was. So, because I, I know Brandon answered the question of who writes these before we actually saw that on the page. At some point, he just said, okay, this is a thing that I can tell you at least a name. So I wanted to figure out when we did know that. Uh, and if I'm, if I'm correlating his answers with the stuff we've already read, there's a little bit of an extra detail uh, in that there's a group that we haven't met yet called the 17th Shard, uh, who are one of the notable groups who's involved in multiple Cosmere things. And at this point, Brandon had said that the Ars Arcanum were written by either Hoyd or someone in the 17th Shard. And he wasn't going to elaborate further than that. Oh. Okay. And just to clarify, that's an in-universe thing, because I know the 17th Shard also <laughs> refers to an out-of-universe group of yes. real people as well. Yes. Okay. And that actually... um I'm pretty sure that it was seen on page first, uh, but it's it was one of those things very similar to if you've seen the the Star Wars fandom and the the five hundred first Legion. Five hundred first was the yeah, that was the yeah. exact analogy I was going to make. How it's it's kind of gone back and forth between, uh, like it, it was a it was a thing that Brandon came up with of the term seventeenth shard. And then the fandom kind of took that and ran with it. And that is the, now the term for the, the kind of very bought in Sanderson fan base, especially the one, the ones who try to puzzle things out. That, 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 that's all, that's all interesting. Um, <laughs> can I, I, I'm not expecting Beth and Justin to have much input here, but can I just like list out all of the little notes that I made about yeah, these again? It. Yeah. Two pages of things. There, there. <laughs> before you do that, there was. Uh, I've been re-listening to some other Sanderson read-through podcasts, and uh, the podcast following Noadon, which actually started with Stormlight, uh, at the end of the first book, Elliot just went through a list of every open question he still had, and it was like fifty things. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I definitely want to hear what. Uh, these two pages, what uh, what was on your mind here? Well, there's a lot to cover, and I want to start with the thing you've just said, which is that something's called the 17th Shard. I'm curious, is that like a 19th hole situation, and that's just like, that's what they call themselves because there's 16 actual shards, and then so they have to call themselves the 17th? Because given what we learned in Hero of Ages it feels like cosmologically there probably are only 16 actual shards because 16 is such a big spooky number 
that that's probably <laughs> what the what the deal with it actually is. Um, so I my my new theory is that the seventeenth shard in universe is just made up of a bunch of uh, caddies, basically. Oh God, I, I'm fine with this. And I'm not. Maybe Beth not. is not. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I really I like this kind of note that um, because we see there's a, there's multiple types of magic um, in Elantris, and I like this idea that gets mentioned of like everyone has access to some kind of magic. It's just the type of magic depends on your birthplace because we didn't get to see much of it aside from Aeondor. Um, but I do like the idea. I don't know. We talked a lot about, you know, fascism and and does having power, like, does that give you the right to be in political power in in Mistborn? And so this idea of like, yeah, you know, if you're born in this country, then you maybe get the superpowers. But anyone else born anywhere else, they never get the superpowers. Um, it just it's. I don't know. That's that's not my favorite world building system. So I guess kind of confirmation or at least hinting at you can get other magic if you're born somewhere else. I did like that quite a bit. Um, we get the detail that Cell is quote settled by a full shard of Adonalsium, and that's the second time we've heard that big boy name. Mm-hmm. Um, what it means to be settled? What for a planet to be settled by a shard? That's a that's a very weird word to use. Um, I would have assumed, I guess there's no, I guess you can't really know, but does, does Skadriel have two shards and Ruin and Preservation are both a different shards or is that one shard that's been split into two beings or is it not a matter of the gods come from the shard? They're just somewhat connected to it in some way. We don't really know. There's not, there's not a lot of information we get here, but that's, that's just, that's worth noteworthy. Um, there's the line of their gods are dead and by my guess have been for a very long time. So, but it says they're, they, they're channeling the corpses of their gods. So it looks like I might have actually been sort of right that the door is one of those three aspects of a god. Because even when one part of that god is dead, the other ones still like exist in some form. We saw that in Hero of Ages as well. But also, if we're going by Hero of Ages rules... Like, the gods can come back, or someone else can inhabit the gods. It's a little unclear exactly how it works, but, like, just because a god is dead doesn't mean it's going to stay dead forever. Um, so, with that in mind, I wonder if that's going to be important when Elantris 2 ever comes out. I still think there's a chance, even if Jadeth is quote-unquote dead, I still think that could end up still being something people have to deal with eventually. Um... I thought it was interesting how they mentioned initiation is based on um, uh, bloodline in Skadrial. That's notably untrue for hemallergy, although you do still need someone to originally have um, the, the, the bloodline for someone to get those powers. Um, the idea that a shard can make a decision on Nalthus, so apparently these shards can think, um, is weirdly terrifying to me. Um... And uh, yeah, I'm 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 keeping my eye on on Nalthus and Taldane and Vax. I'm, I'm I've I've written down everything I that has been written here, so I've got it in my notes. But uh, yeah, there's a lot that gets covered in in not a lot of uh, uh pages that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, 
Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> I'll say going through this again, I quite liked the the musings on uh, the Aeonic linguistics and how you can kind of see the history of uh, of their language and how it, it definitely seems like there were different parts that came in at different times. Uh, so I thought uh, I thought that was neat, just because I like linguistics. But yeah, I think we uh, we got some answers here and some questions or just things that we are going to think about. <laughs> lots of uh, lots of pushpins to point at later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I was just commenting to Beth. We actually get a uh, answers on some of these sooner than. Uh, I would think so we'll uh I mean it'll still be quite a bit but uh you will not Hang be waiting there. forever on <laughs> you'll not be waiting forever on some answers here uh, after the uh the writing there the kind of academic writing uh we do have a table of aeons which uh a good a good portion of which we saw as chapter headers uh but a lot of them are are new here and I don't think we can say a ton about these other than they look cool. We get to see, uh, there was that one point where Rayodin was talking about how you can see very specific features called out on, on certain aeons, uh, and you can see those there. But uh, yeah, other than that, they're just kind of some, some fun pictures. I'm so sorry. I do have several notes on some of these. <laughs> well, before you get there, I'm going to nominate Aeon Are uh, as my favorite. Solid pick. That's a pretty cool one. Very pleasing. Uh, uh, Rio is my favorite just because it's such a dense boy. I remember them saying, because that's the one that's on um, Keen's axe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Serene was like, no one ever uses that Aeon. And I can see why. It's complicated (laughs) as hell. But it is very cool. I like Omi. It's a good good mixture of um, neat looking but still pretty simple and elegant i kind of like tia even i mean it's a very simple aeon but it's a very it is pleasing to my eye and i cannot yeah. justify <laughs> it better than that i mean that's basically all that you need right yeah, yeah. also just the fact that it's the that's the teleportation yeah aeon. yeah so pretty interesting to picture that just kind of all over the walls of elantris mm-hmm. touch here to be teleported right it's it's the fast travel button yeah. <laughs> we can all agree CEO can leave. Um yes. and um yeah, I was just like looking through each of these. I like how some of them I appreciate that it gives examples for how it's used. And some of them are just very straightforward. Look, this they they were named correctly. Like Ene or Ine is wit and cleverness. So like, yeah, Serene, that's yeah, that, that kind of fits. Then right next to it is Eodons, which means trust slash reliable. Yeah. <laughs> Could not be further from the truth. So trustworthy. Um, well, but, at least uh, they got Allah, right? Because that's the one for beauty, and the super hot Pope uses Allah in his that's name. That's true. Um, but yeah, I just kind of liked flipping through these. At one point, Rayodin said that, like, oh, a, a lot of them used the, the river. And I was like, no... I don't see any of these using the river. There is one on this list that does use the river, which is fittingly Eno Eno for water, exactly. (laughs) So it was fun to at least see one of those. Um, 
And um, the the one last little thing we mentioned how um, Raiden makes a wall during one of the fights because it's just easy to draw. Um, another thing I appreciate is um, I remember when Galadon brings in the army of of Elantrians and has them all draw Aeon Daw. Um, if you look, that one's also pretty easy, and I thought that was a really nice detail of like, oh yeah, Galadon might be able to draw this and teach other people to draw it within a minute or two. It makes mm-hmm. sense that he would pick that one. And conveniently, it's power slash energy, which is probably also useful in a fight. Sort of of interest to me is, uh, you know, the whole gist of fixing the Aeons was, oh, you need to include the the crack, the chasm. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of these have the chasm. They're all like the Yeah, these are, these are pre, yeah. pre-chasm line. I just love to see like what it looks like after yeah. you add the because I I can't picture it. It's hard to picture. It's based on what I'm seeing. Unfortunately, at this point, uh, I know Brandon has kind of shifted the way that he does book signings, where he doesn't uh, he doesn't have the time to do as much like personalization of of writing specific things in each book. Uh, but I would love to bring a copy of Elantris and just have him draw the chasm lines on this chart. <laughs> because the, the way that I that I kind of understood it and this is something that I would also just want to ask him is because each of these each of these complex aeons is made of and this is where we get fun vocab again is made of multiple copies of aeon aeon <laughs> and you can you can very easily imagine how you'd add the chasm line to the single aeon but from the way that Rayodin talked about it it seems like you only need to add it once for any complex Aeon. So I'm wondering if it's like, um, I know some some uh, pictographic languages have stroke ordering where you're supposed to draw the lines in a particular order. So like maybe you only need the chasm line on the first one or the last one. Or do you need it on all of them? I, I wonder how this changed. I also, looking through these, uh, Brandon had to, stabbed me through the ribs one last time because in episode zero I was like there's this rose compass on the map are we supposed to believe that there's like new cardinal directions and then in the first like chapter of the book it's like no you idiot those are just cities that's not actual cardinal directions you (laughs) idiot then you get to this and it's like no that is the cardinal directions they just happen to not use those words in the book they only use it to refer to the cities but that is literally what they are I was right. It just didn't matter. (laughs) We know that Brandon's signings are less personal now. Does Isaac Stewart, the art director, ever do signings? Can we corner him and demand answers and chasm lines? At some point, probably yes. I know Isaac is planning on writing a book in the Cosmere. Slay! Which, uh, one thing on this and then one thing, because I've been looking through Arcanum while while we're doing this. A, a fun fact for us uh, map enthusiasts, Naj, the cartographer who draws these maps, uh, was originally Isaac's character. Uh, and uh, because Isaac also draws the real maps, uh, he he kind of came in that way. And so I believe the story that, that Isaac wants to write is about Naj. So Aww. that would be fun. Hell yes. Uh, but I did get an answer to my question on how do you add the chasm line uh, which is that 
and and you can see this is that not all aeons are strictly made up of repeated copies of aeon uh, they use the same straight and curved and dot but sometimes they'll only use pieces of that but the guarantee is that there is always one copy of of the base aeon at the start and so that's the one that gets the chasm line cool so the next thing after our uh, our info on the magic uh, is we get some info that's uh more out of universe because we next go to uh, the deleted scenes on the Mad Prince where Brandon offers some explanation here uh, before each section where in the original draft of Elantris we, we find out that uh, through most of the book there had been kind of brief mentions that Raiden had a brother uh, whose name was Eton who had been sent away because he was uh, some way insane and then near the end of the book he reappeared and caused some shenanigans and then goes away uh, and the during the revisions the character of Eaton was entirely cut from the book uh, and all of his scenes were removed and some things were reworked to fill those gaps uh, but just as kind of a behind the scenes thing uh, we have those scenes here so yeah, let's uh, let's just take a look through these like they would if they were in the original book. Uh, the first that we see is a different version of the scene right when uh, Serene gets out of Elantris after her potion of fake become Elantrian. <laughs> and uh, there is a uh, there there is a caravan that has just arrived featuring someone who is briefly mistaken for Raiden because he is his brother Eaton has arrived has declared that he is coming to claim his throne uh, and then the first thing he does is he burns down a building and then leaves and that is our that is our first introduction to him nice <laughs> and, and what an introduction <laughs> B before we get to there though uh Keen uh, uh, says he's only seen Luke Hell speeches a couple times, but he's been his father for more than a decade, which reminded me of the Caesar has been dead for well over seventy years. Tweet <laughs> is is it is, is true. Luke Hell ten? Because I didn't yeah. get that impression. Yeah, no, I think Luke Hell he's is married, more... so I assumed early twenties. Yeah. <laughs> he has an wife. I've been his father for over a decade. Well, he's 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 not. Keen's biological kid, right? That's true. Oh. Um, oh, okay, fine. Well then, fuck me, I guess. Well, no, I also because <laughs> I I had the exact same reaction. There, I was like, that has to have been written that way weirdly for a reason. And then I I I didn't physically look back, but I thought back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, he's he is a stepson. Yeah. Yeah, Luke and Dean are Deora's kids. Oh, okay, uh, and right. then. Um, Kaize and Deorn are both of their their biological kids. That's that's why that chapter takes so long of introducing everyone because every time someone new enters the room, Serene has to go, "Wait, is this your child?" And Keen is like, "Not technically, but he is now because I married after before she, the kid was born, and then I came in, and now he's my son." And then the two more kids come in, or no, Adi Adian comes in. And it's like that kid also. Actually, I don't even remember if that's my son or not, but he's also <laughs> part of the family. 
and the entire every single time this happens Serena has to go wow i can't believe hunky k has a family now and they do that like four times <laughs> oh i my eyes glazed over in, in the pareto characters at the early stages of this book yeah but... it's some like hobbit shit just with all the family trees and genealogy laid out constant um in and amongst my thoughts for this section is uh one of the things i'm glad that brandon cut was uh lukel's twitch because my god that would have driven me crazy if it was mentioned more than like twice (laughs) (laughs) yeah one thing that i i do kind of get the sense of uh is that i i do wonder depending on when these scenes were cut uh if they got fewer editing passes than the the final book ended up getting uh i love uh right at the end of this little brief little diversion here um brandon says as you can see this was quite the strange occurrence dear reader (laughs) (laughs) how silly that was quite the thing to do just some you know some fun arson i just i love writing that about something that you wrote (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay i don't know (laughs) i've (laughs) similar energy to a like twilight zone photoshopped screenshot i've seen before it's just rod sterling and it's captioned god damn you see that shit that was fucking crazy (laughs) anyway i'm rod sterling (laughs) that was i reading it one way it could be read as like isn't it crazy how eden is like unhinged and crazy but i kind of i kind of read it as like brandon going yeah you see how random it was that this character just kind of showed up like i i saw that i saw this was quite the strange occurrence as him explaining like yeah this kind of needed to be cut because it comes out of nowhere that's how, that's how i interpreted it and it's such a tonal shift too just from like if this just appeared yeah like what in the yeah. fuck is happening this yeah this happens and apparently it then cuts directly to serene back at keen's place eating everything as if nothing happened this was one of the main reasons why aside from just how much we had to talk about but why i didn't want to do this stuff in the part three episode was it would have been very weird to finish the book and then go back to this right i agree i am glad we are reading it now rather than saving it for like way down the line but yeah it, it definitely Yes, it's a very weird tonal shift from the end of the book straight into reading this. So going to the next uh, Eaton chapter, which was a a Hraithen chapter, uh, we get to see just how weird and kooky Eaton is. uh, Because he eats food weird. And, like, I think that... I think that this is probably done a disservice by, like, not being not having as many editing passes and just Brandon's early writing. I think he was not as talented of a writer. I think that there's like, there's a way that this could be done where it's like, we have to deal with this person who does not do anything like we expect. And so how do we figure out how to manage them? And that being shown by something as simple as their eating and drinking habits are very strange, Uh, but it just feels weird yeah it's uh it reminded me just this whole like chapter 48 bit here it reminded me of um un poco loco the song from 
Coco. A lot of Ocos there. <laughs> uh, but it's just like, it's a song about somebody doing silly things. And this is just, uh, it's a guy who does silly things. I don't at, know. It's... At chapter 48 <laughs> in this book. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just at, like, okay, now we have a silly guy. All right. Coco slaps. Coco does it much better. <laughs> I do think it is kind of funny uh, where Hraithan is trying to to go over the terms of what he wants and, you know, you you need to convert to the Darithi religion and that requires an oath to be made. Uh, and Eaton just goes, okay, I promise to be Darithi. <laughs> there, are we done? Like, I, I do think that's a little funny. I think there's there's quite a bit in here. I agree it's it's a little bit clunky and it's a good thing it got cut, but there's a, there's a couple details in here that I actually really quite like. I, I, I really like Hraithan, who this whole book has been like having this battle of wits, having to be like, because even Tellery, it's like, okay, got to promise him money, got to make sure he stays in line. And the fact that this guy just shows up and Hraithan's like, Okay, I don't know what the fuck to do with this guy. Yeah. I don't what 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 is this? I think there is something here that is very enjoyable even if it it doesn't quite fit with the rest of the book and it's to the point of I'm kind of surprised I know we don't know when Elantris 2 is coming, but I'm kind of surprised Brandon just didn't hold off on this and wait to see if he could fit Eaton into um later installations of the series because there's there's something here. I kind I I kind of dig it a little bit. Well, and not to skip ahead too much, but in the 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 final note from Brandon after this whole section, he says that he wants to put this character in a story somewhere, and Joshua in particular on his editing team uh has has repeatedly said no it doesn't fit. So maybe we'll see. I I don't think that this actually being printed completely excludes the possibility that Eaton shows up in a later book, but it, it does make it a little less likely. I, I think the main thing is that all reference to references to him were deleted in the finished book as well. If if it had been mentioned at any point that Raven had a brother in the actual text, then I could see it happening, but I feel like now, unless you have already read these scenes and are aware this was originally the plan, it would feel weird to start the second Elantris book and go, wait, Raiden has a brother that they just never even offhandedly mentioned at any point? That feels weird. Mm-hmm. There's a line here that... There's a couple lines here that absolutely I, I love. Uh, Raiden might as well have sworn a horse into Jadith's empire. Is yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it seems so odd that faith should be so sacrificed in the name of religion. That's also... It's a, yeah. it's a slappy line. It slaps. It's good. I also do like um, Freythan trying to... like. This is probably the first time that he's interacted with, with Eaton. And so he's he's trying to like logic his way through things. Uh, he hasn't like given up on that. And, and he's looking at, uh, at Eaton's eating and drinking habits and how uh, he he drinks wine directly from the jug because the cup could be poisoned and Hraithan is is internally going like the jug can't be poisoned (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of sassy one-off thoughts yeah I also like uh Brandon's interstitial 
notes of placing everything in the book where he says, after this, we go back to Raiden where he blows up the biology lab. <laughs> like, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. It was hard to forget. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Caleb and I, those readers familiar with Warbreaker, we, I'm so pleased that Stones is in this book. I'm really hoping it's Stones. I really hope that's the exact <laughs> detail he's talking about. I actually really love the Stones thing. Uh, Calvin Ball. Oh my god, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that in my notes, too. Have you ever actually tried to play Calvin Ball? I think I did once or twice with my brother in the backyard. It is difficult if you are not like a talented improvisational comedian yeah because <laughs> that i mean that's what it is it's just an improv game and if you're yeah. bad at improv games then attempting to play calvin ball is actually like not all that fun justin did we attempt i feel like tim would win yes tim and i calvin definitely ball. played calvin ball at one point i don't know if you did I, I probably attempted to participate and you humored me, but it was really between you two. So yeah, this, this chapter, it is a, another meeting uh, with, uh, with Hraithan and Eton. Uh, and I, I do agree that I think the most fun part of this chapter is that it is, it is all taking place while Eton is playing this game called Stones that he just demands that Hraithan play with him. Uh, and it immediately becomes clear that Eaton is just making up this entire thing as he goes. Uh, but because he... Hraithan is at least trying to deal with him, given his like his potential title, his importance to the events here. Hraithan is trying to deal with Eaton in a, a more reasonable manner. And so he's like, okay, I I guess I'm playing the Stones game. And he also wins the first round, so good for him. <laughs> I love that he wins. Eaton gets really upset, and Hraithan goes, "Oh Lord, if you intend to take me, please don't let it be over something this inane." <laughs> that's gold. That's amazing. <laughs> and honestly, I think that's most of the chapter. Like, there's there's some uh, there, there's some things about uh, there are there are fjordal ships here who have not been allowed to dock. Uh, and th then there's there's something about how like uh, Diloph is starting to make moves in the background, but honestly, I think the chapter is pretty much just there to watch them play stones. <laughs> <laughs> the other line that really tickled me in this section was Eton thinking that Diloph is Rathen's son. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh... I'm just picturing Rathen like my son. And then once he figures it out, just like... <sighs> yeah. Following the uh, the scene that just has the fun game in it, uh, the rest of this chapter and then the, the, the next, the segment in the next chapter uh, is all kind of one big chunk and it is the, the end of the, uh, the Eaton section. And... I don't know if there's like other parts that Brandon did not actually reprint here because in the explanation, he says that that Eaton served the same role that Telry and his soldiers did, interrupting the 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 meeting, uh, which means that by the time we cut back to a 
a scene that Brandon has added here. Uh, I assume that it is, um, it is still Eondel who went and attacked and Eaton is now dead. Yeah. It's kind of burying the lead on interrupting the meeting rather than clarifying killing Royale, killing Eondel while being killed by Eondel in the process. <laughs> yeah. Like I had to reread this note a couple of times just to make sure that I had all the, the, the connecting points sorted. Well, yeah, Cause it's not even like, even they bury the lead it's not until like two pages in that they flat out say Eaton is dead and it's like oh wait he oh oh yeah, yeah <laughs> i guess what? he is <laughs> yeah i wrote wait Eaton died <laughs> um i did think it was out of character in the actual book uh well two things first of all for uh eondel to for it to be a stalemate i mean i don't think it was tellery that killed him yeah, I, I oversimplified it. He got taken out by guards, I assume. Well, yeah, I'm not, you know, correcting you. I'm just saying, like, I don't think it was, you know, whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. I would understand it if, if Eton, who's got, you know, this whole crew and everything, like, I would get that that would be a stalemate, I guess. Um, and I also thought it was out of character for Tellery to, like, kill Royale. And it makes sense that Eton would be the kind of guy to do that. I can get that sense here. Not that we knew a ton about Tellery leading up to that, honestly. He's rich. We knew he was rich. <laughs> we knew he loved money. He was rich and kind of a fucker. Which, he was a like fucker, we, yeah. Like we've established, is not correlated with going to stab someone. <laughs> yeah, that's just a piece of unrelated information that we do know about him. I, I will definitely say I have started to think ahead to other Sanderson books to identify who the fucker is. Who's the biggest fucker? <laughs> so this will definitely have to become a uh, a recurring thing that we check mm. on. <laughs> who is the fucker of the book? Exactly. <laughs> Add that as a column in the spreadsheet. <laughs> I mean, I I am considering like writing some software to replace the spreadsheet, so I could totally do that. <laughs> So yeah, the even if the the general uh, idea of the scene where uh, a force comes to interrupt their meeting, there's a fight there. Royal dies. Uh, they Eondel uh, storms the palace, uh, kills whoever is responsible, is killed himself. That all stays. The rest of this scene is is drastically different. So we do get to see all of it. Uh, because we have we have some of Eton's forces still here, uh, and they are they have Raiden as a, a prisoner, uh, and they are putting him to trial for for killing Eton. It's a Rico trial, cause he ain't done it. I suppose you're right. I suppose it is. <laughs> it's technically a Rico trial. Yeah. It's your orders. It, it wasn't, but okay. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I had no idea. Reardon does make things uh, quite simple by just accepting the responsibility. Just in keeping with his, yeah, attitude toward everything he's accused of ever in this entire book. That part where he <laughs> legitimately could have explained to Serene 
that he was not a terrible person and just didn't. Yeah, I'm a tyrant. I'm a fascist too. <laughs> but uh, but he does make a speech. And uh, that he he definitely still could do, even if he is taking responsibility for this. Uh, and he he does. I mean, there's a, there's a whole part where he he's talking about the kind of what the people have been enduring, and it it kind of has the sense of this is him trying to bring back what he was known for before, which we never saw in the original book. Uh, but we heard quite a bit about about how the people of the city quite liked Raiden and that he was kind of their champion. Uh, and so he gets to to really call back to that here uh, and ends it with, uh, it, if I'm going to be executed, then you should choose Serene to rule as kind of one one more play that he can make. And uh, the the there's a chapter break that takes us into Hraithan's POV, but the, the chronology continues. And when we get to Hraithan's uh, viewpoint, he thinks that this is, is going to be very effective and that there's basically no way that the people won't listen to, you know, the, their favorite their favorite noble from before who has now returned and is now being put to the death by this invading force. Hraithan is saying, like, they're obviously going to to do what he says, and now I've lost control of the throne because Serene is going to is going to take it. It's very specific about how how much he's got the hots for Serene, which I'm glad was not present in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit, but it felt like uh, Caleb cottoned onto it like right away, but I kind of ignored it because I thought it was like, oh, you know, he's got respect for her, whatever. But, um, it, you know, obviously it rose a little bit above that. Caleb was the correct perspective haver in that case uh, apparently I, I wish i was here it is yeah <laughs> here it is crushing on serene yeah i would have been I, I think we all would have preferred it if that had gotten cut out along with these chapters yeah but uh and then we then we get the the ending of this and how this does actually then lead back into the rest of the plot of this book uh without majorly rewriting things uh, because uh, as everything else he did Eaton has a an unconventional technique for uh, doling out justice uh, which is that the 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 execution is to be done by beheading with the executioner unable to see they close their eyes they swing the sword uh, and if they die then they were definitely guilty and if they if the executioner misses with the sword, then they are definitely proven uh, to to go free. And so that's what happens. Cripes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. I feel the same way. I think the the part I like best of that little tidbit is how much... Rathen hates it. Yeah. <laughs> and how we views it as Eaton spiting him specifically one last time from the grave. Yeah, I think my impression on, on reading the, the Mad Prince deleted scenes was definitely, I'm glad they got cut. Uh, and I think that's primarily because of 
the way that they would have been introduced as kind of this sudden mood swing and then the way that they would have ended where it it just kind of like stops <laughs> so yeah i i think it is it is fun to see them uh and kind of see the the process uh of how this was an entire character who di- didn't show up much in this book but did show up in like multiple scenes across multiple chapters and it was removed entirely and then uh there are some points where brandon notes like this was the the new scene that got re- written to replace the old one and sometimes it does a similar thing and sometimes it does something totally different and it just needs to to keep the pace along so i think it was it was interesting to read but i i don't think i miss the uh the the mad prince overall i'd agree with that i think like I said, I think you probably could do something with this in a sequel. I think it would need to be expanded and like worked into the plot more directly instead of just kind of coming in last second. Um, but yeah, as it stands, I'm glad I got to read these chapters. I'm also glad they were not in the book itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a children's book villain. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's a zany children's book for longer. It's just it is. It's, it's an extension of the zany children's book. Except that it comes after Elantris has stopped being a zany children's book. Exactly. <laughs> Just like, psych, oh, we're, I had you. You almost thought this was a serious plot now. Oh, Eden, you crazy son of a bitch. Royale was dead. Right, and, and then it has to go back into the ending of Elantris. So, yeah. Yeah, I concur with all of this. I think there's some good, like, tidbits of our, our main three characters in here that I am sad to see go. But overall, doesn't really fit. But it's interesting to see from a writing process of like the very grim phrase of you got to be willing to kill your babies sometime for like cut parts you really like to make the story better. This is a, a primo example of that. So I am glad it's in this edition. Yeah. One thing that we will, we definitely won't look as specifically at as these deleted scenes. Uh, but one thing that I, th- I think is very interesting is Brandon has definitely been willing in a couple of ways to kind of play around with uh, the, the process of writing the book. Uh, there's two other ways that this has come up. Uh, one was Warbreaker, which we'll be getting to in a couple of books. Uh, Warbreaker is actually available for free online as an ebook. Uh, he just, he just released it. Uh, and he also released each draft as he finished it while he was writing it uh so you if you were reading along at the time which i I was not uh, you could actually see the book kind of evolve or you could wait until it was done and then read the the finished product that's wild and then the other thing that is i think is pretty cool is when we get to the way of kings and i'll talk a little bit more about this i think in the the way of kings episode zero the 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 book that Brandon originally wrote as The Way of Kings, I think it was like the 10th book or so. It was one of the ones that he wrote before he got published. Uh, he wrote the whole thing and it was not good enough. Uh, and and he admits that. He, he said this this book had some, some big problems, uh, but it was something that he wanted to write the entire thing of. And then when he actually went to release The Way of Kings he basically started over and and took some of the the kind of main structure of it and some of the characters and wrote a whole new book 
but that original version, which he calls the Way of Kings Prime, was actually a a bonus reward for one of the the Kickstarters. And so I actually have a copy of the original Way of Kings before it got nearly completely thrown out and rewritten. So hmm. and it's it's very cool to see how there's there's a, some recognizable components, but it is a totally different book, which I just think is neat. Yeah. Wasn't there some poor soul who read Way of Kings Prime and then Words of Radiance, which is the Way of Kings sequel, but like didn't read the actual canonical Way of Kings and then was oh, just no. like, what the fuck is happening? I don't know if I, I, if I heard that. I do know that in the UK, the Stormlight paperbacks are published in two parts because they're so big. <laughs> and I know it, I, I heard it of at least one person who read The Way of Kings Part 1 and then Words of Radiance Part 1. Oh no. And just missed the second half of the first book. <laughs> so the last two things before we actually get to the final piece of paper here. We have a postscript from Brandon himself, which is, is just kind of a, 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 a nice reflection on kind of where his, his career has gone. Uh, I like the the note about him getting his his first sales report uh, and it being 400 copies and him freaking out and then his agent having to explain that no that's actually pretty good and it's going <laughs> to keep selling like your your first week is not everything don't worry about it uh, and yeah and and it was it was all it all went from there so I like this a little bit I don't know if we have uh, a lot to discuss about it but uh, I, I just have two minor things. One, I think it is fascinating that Hraithan grew out of his time as a Mormon missionary. Um, I don't, I don't know. I just think that's really, really interesting that the antagonist of the book grew out of that experience. Hraithan is I, the coolest character in the book, and there's a lot to work with there. I think that's really interesting, but that was surprising uh, to to hear. Um, I just thought that was really cool. And then I really like his thing towards the end of like, it's not always about the big magic fights. It's not always about being flashy. Sometimes it's just about good characters and good emotions. He does list, why do I still get so many fans who list it as their favorite? You do? It, who? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, we're, we're almost at the end of this and then we're going to talk about the book as a whole. I liked reading this book again. I would not put it as a favorite. So, but tastes are different. And, and if, if people really liked this book, then, then good for them. Yeah, no, good for them. Uh, and then the credits roll. And then we have our, our MCU style post credits scene, uh, which I, I'm sure across the, the wide world of, of film and literature has been done. Like it, it's a stinger. It's been done before. Uh, but I think the MCU has kind of forever altered our vocabulary about it. <laughs> so, so that's what this is. We're back with Hoyd. We uh, we can't get away with just having him show up as a, a a a beggar for like three sentences. Here he is, and he's up to something. Oh my god! What's he up to, man? Uh, I, I will shamefully admit that I didn't read this part, but here's the thing. I'm reading along with you. I'm good. Okay. It's not very long. No, it, it is. It is literally about two pages, but it is it is entirely an MCU post credit scene. Yes. 
Sam, don't walk out of the movie theater. No. It's getting back on track. It's going to set things up for the next one. It's the most exciting part of the book, Sam. You get to see Harry Styles. (laughs) Also, this also was completely not in the original Elantris. This this has been added for the, the 10th anniversary. So Hoyt is here. He is by the mysterious pool in the mountains. Uh, and he is uh, covered basically head to toe. He, his his face is covered in bandages. He's wearing gloves. Uh, and he dramatically reveals himself uh, and nothing happens. <laughs> and we, we see his partner in dialogue who consistently gets his name wrong. And uh, apparently... Hoyd had somehow attempted to become Elantrian and it didn't work. Uh, and his companion, it does mention later that, uh, that it is a, a skaze or a skaze. I don't know the pronunciation. Does it mention that? I don't remember that. Okay. No, I, I, yeah, that was oh, something no, that, spoiler. <laughs> yeah, no, Brandon said that at some point and I, I, okay. If that's the one time I'm going to slip and just say something then I'm, I'm fine with that. That's we don't learn much about what that means. It no, looks we like don't. An, an anti Sion or something to that effect, but yeah, we, we we don't really know what the fuck this thing is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it's trying to get some some information about Hoyd, and he goes on a, a weird tangent about eating a frog, <laughs> and that, which actually does become relevant in in that <laughs> he actually has made a metaphor out of this. I once ate a live frog, you know. I'm sorry, that is the start of a monologue from Jojo. Hoyt is just a Jojo character now. You can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> the fact that he just leads in with that with no lead up at all, like that's the most Jojo shit in the world. But the uh, the point that Hoyt actually makes with this, which seems to be mostly unprompted, uh, is, is that... Uh, Eating a live frog was, in his opinion, the uh, the worst experience of his life at the time. And then he, he says he's realized something about this, uh, which is that at least he wasn't the frog. <laughs> but... Okay. <laughs> things, things could be worse. All right. Why'd you eat the frog, though? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. You didn't have to do it. Also, like, we're, we're traveling between planets... I feel like it's still worth pointing out how it's a little bit weird that a frog is like, that's that's a thing that people can just point to and be like, yeah, I know what that is. He even clarifies, it's not like a normal frog. We all know what normal frogs are, right, buddy of mine? And so, <laughs> I don't know, in a fantasy world where there are fake creatures or, or fictional creatures... It, it, it legitimately is. I know we, we had a lot of fun with if horses exist in Mistborn universe, but like <laughs> it is legitimately interesting to think about like, okay, what animals are the same and what animals are not the same? And the fact that frog apparently is a universal animal that we all know what that is, is in of itself, I think, interesting. I think you're fully on Sam's team here now. <laughs> I am. I mean, I, I knew the horses existed, but it's very interesting that horses exist. No comment. <laughs> I can't ramble about this every time we bring it up, okay? <laughs> uh, okay. But yeah, Hoyd has has kind of just been philosophizing here about how, you know, things can be worse and you can look at the situation you're in and, and find find something in it. 
And the situation that he is in is uh, not transformed into an Elantrian, which I think from what we've read is is kind of the default that you'd expect. Kind of <laughs> wild that he thought that that was going to happen. But uh, Hoyd says the, the, the beauty that we have here is that uh, there are secrets that are still unknown and that he loves trying to puzzle them out. Uh, and then he goes into the pool and disappears. End scene. Here's a fucking idea for you. Yeah, he just actually dissolves. That's the last time we'll see him. Hoyd, what are you up to, man? What's what's going on with him? <laughs> I I've, I I have a kind of theory. And I feel like is he trying to just collect as many superpowers as possible? Is he like going from planet to planet, seeing if he can like gather these things up? Because then that would explain why he's one of the potential authors of the Ars Arcanum, because he's trying to be like, hey. Not sure what makes... I guess I wasn't born here, so I don't get the powers, but I really wanted them. I don't know, man. <laughs> Spooky. Also, did he need to jump in the pool? Or was that just being extra? Is the pool actually a death field? Or is it like a secret teleporter that transports you somewhere else? I don't know. There's no way to know. What's going on with you, man? What indeed. Yeah, I don't have any answers for you. <laughs> I do like, though, that, uh, and this is a, a weird consequence of our reading order in that we've gone back to Brandon's original book, but we're reading it in a printing that came out after a couple of Stormlight books. Uh, so there's there's some weird things about, like, what Cosmere knowledge you're assumed to have. Uh, but this is this is kind of the first time that we've seen Hoyd with his own personality. Every other time we've seen him both very briefly and in disguise. Right. So, yeah, he's a weird guy. <laughs> it goes back to the Diloff problem, though. Of like, he's in disguise, but he's just flat out using his real name. Like, he's... I feel like anyone in-universe who's paying too much attention could be like, Hey, what's... Art, is that... What's your deal, man? I am, I am pleased to say that people do catch on. And or there are people who just straight up know who he is, and that creates some fun parts. Interesting. What secrets do you hide? Uh, that will uh, unfortunately be for another book, because at this point now we've reached uh, the very end of uh, Elantris, unless you count the about the author uh, and the ad for Mistborn novels, but I'm not going to count those. <laughs> so... I, I did legitimately, uh, Justin, I think you did say it at some point and I had just forgotten, but I did learn information from the About the Author mm -hmm. segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the About the Author here note, and I've actually, um, it, it's kind of funny, he has, he's standardized this blurb of text uh, and because uh, the Emperor's Soul is, was his first Hugo Award, uh, it gets special mention here, and it, it says the Emperor's Soul is a novella set in the world of his acclaimed first novel, Elantris. So we have a connection there. Interesting. But yeah, there we go. That, uh, we can finally say we have we finished Elantris. We've finished a book, and at least for now, we've finished a series in that we're not going to pick up with the, the same characters in, in just a little bit. So, I, like, I, I don't just want to ask 
what did you think of it? Because that's a, a big question, but <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about. What did you think of it? Well, before we get into that, we do do we want to wrap up any last minute like predictions that, that came true that we didn't put notes on or any additions or substitutions to cast lists? Yes, let's do that. Uh, the only thing that we had that I marked down last episode as a prediction was that Hoyd was going to be in the post credit scene. He was. Um, <laughs> yeah. So as, as our Cosmere experience expands, that would be a pretty safe prediction. <laughs> but at this point, yeah, it was, it was basically the first we'd seen of him. So yeah, there you go. Uh, but yeah, as we were, as we were kind of racing to the end of the book, we did, uh, the the casting kind of got disrupted and then also we you know we learned new stuff in the last chapters uh, and so if we want to uh fill in or or edit anything uh caleb i think you said you had a an edit or two that you wanted to make to your cast list uh technically speaking yeah i have some additions as well because i'm uh i go overboard with everything um so i casted some voice actors um for for things the lake talks for one line of dialogue when Raiden's in it. Let's get Cree Summer in there. I'll probably use her for oh, something else yeah. as well, but hell yeah, let's get Cree Summer in there. Um, En the 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 Sion with the Aeon of En named En <laughs> um, also has one line of dialogue, or maybe two. Um, this is a weird pick. I'm going with J.J. Abrams. Look, Rise of Skywalker was bad. But there was a cute little droid in it called Dio, 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 um, Dio. that rolled around on a little wheel and it had a cute voice. And then I looked it up. I was like, oh, J.J. Abrams did the voice and it was a cute voice. So we'll have him be E.N. too because he can do that. Um, I did cast Eaton, but because his scenes have been deleted, it means I also get to reuse this actor later on if I want to. <laughs> But I needed someone who resembled Tony Kebbell and someone who could just be a weird, fun guy. So I just have Josh Groban as Eaton. Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, and then um, in terms of this weird anti-Seon sphere, I want someone with a cool voice. So I'm going with Ron Perlman for now. We know he's, he does some really, really solid voice acting from time to time. Um but the big edit I'm making is we got to see a little bit more Hoyd. We actually got to see considerably more Hoyd compared to uh, what we saw in Mistborn. And I've changed my Hoyd. Okay. We need, we need someone. He's So he's he's an older gentleman, I believe. He's generally depicted as being being older in years. Um, I've, I've seen some of the merch. Seems like he generally has gray hair. Um, but he also needs a youthful vibe. And he needs to be weird and wacky and kooky. And it just also needs to be really fun to watch. So let's get Special Agent Dale Cooper in here. I have Kyle McLaughlin as Hoyd, and I am I'm feeling strong about that. I'm casting Leslie Jordan as Hoyd. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, <laughs> Leslie Jordan. Is he dead? Hang on. He's, he, he passed away last year. I mean, yeah. that hasn't stopped you before. That's true. That has yeah. not stopped me before, ever. Death is not the end. Assuming the universe I want to live in where everything that Brandon has written gets a full expansive screen adaptation, I do not envy whoever has to cast Hoyd. No. Be because 
partially just because of the role of of its it has a bunch of different ways that you kind of need to go uh but also it it is the and i think we're gonna i want to talk about this more later when we talk about adaptations in the future but as things start to cross over there's a lot of of weight that falls on the people doing the crossing over like if we're going to make an, an mcu comparison I think it's very effective for most people's introduction to the whole shared universe thing to be Samuel L. Jackson showing up and saying something dramatic. Like that yeah. works very well. Yeah. And it would be tricky. You wouldn't want to cast an actor who only shows up for like a little bit in like one of the like Disney plus shows, but then you're like, Oh, he's actually going to be like the main villain later on. So it's really, really important that we get an actor we can depend on for the long term in this role. It would be really rough if if you casted the wrong person to to carry that out because that would that would lead to a lot of awkwardness later on down the line if that happened at any point. See, the funny thing is that I've completely lost track of the MCU at this point, and I have no idea who you're talking about. You might, Loki, you might season never. Season two coming soon, baby. Oh boy, we couldn't recast anything; it had already been shot. So Jonathan Majors is still here, and we just kind of have to deal with it. Right that yeah that you mean it it (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm gonna cut that off here and we're gonna talk about uh yes please (laughs) this book that we read yeah so uh in episode zero i made mention of my five keys to making me actually like this book yes you did (laughs) Uh, but i didn't elaborate on what the keys are so I'll, i'll elaborate um all right, so the five keys. Uh, for for me to like this book, not for this to be a good book, but for me to like it. Um, number one uh, was Break the Illusion of Perfect Elantrians. This is before we knew that the Shayad was Bayad. Um, so, uh, you know, they're not really immortal. They suffer greatly for their abilities, something like that. Um, did we get it? Kind of. Yeah, I mean, Raiden bleeds in his fight against Diloph, and it's not immediately clear that he's going to... Well, he wouldn't have won had Raiden not stepped in and helped. So that was cool to see. Um, but at the same time, in a scene later, Galadon comes and heals him with no real issues. So I I don't know. It's kind of a mixed bag. But I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a check for that one. Not a check plus. We kind of did get that and then kind of backed off on it. Right. Ex- exactly. Number two was Don't Restore Elantris to Its Former Glory, uh, because I thought that was just a really boring way to go. Uh, did we get it? Nope. Elantris nope. is back to normal, baby. And you know what? Happened. And you know what? That's kind of okay. We, we can have a happy ending as a treat. <laughs> so, there you go. I'm fine with it. Uh, it spent a long enough time talking about how shitty Elantris was, and then eventually... <laughs> Okay, fine. It can be not shitty. I really like the new Elantris angle. I really, really did. Like, hey, we're going to make this place good. I really like that bit. Um, and I kind of... If this book were finished by a different author from that point on, they would have found a way to make do with new Elantris. And, like, maybe this is okay. But it's okay that Elantris is restored. That's fine. It's okay. <laughs> uh, all right. 
Uh, number three, uh, go into detail about the magic system and don't stop at its magic. Uh, because Alamancer was a big, complicated, wibbly-wobbly thing that still had clear rules. Um, and Vin was more powerful than most, but wasn't blatantly OP. And I specifically said, before we knew how you draw Aeons, uh, quote, if this is literally you wave your hand and problem go poof, I will steadily lose brain cells. Um, <laughs> so, did we get that? Yeah, we did. Drawing Aeons is cool. I'm okay with it. As Rayodin and in turn we learned more, it became more interesting. You know, with modifiers, different line widths, the whole shiz that was there, it became interesting. So three you get a you get a check plus maybe even just a regular plus there that's good um number four was uh maybe unpopular for some people uh make some big complicated characters and i here's why it's here's the controversy uh, i didn't want any edens i didn't want any phylons and i didn't want uh any more than one yeoman i welcome your <laughs> jeers they feed me uh, did we get it? There can only be one yeoman. There can only be one yeoman. <laughs> uh, and Tellry's it. I would say that Tellry is the yeoman in this book. He's, like, kind of just a shithead, um, but then dies. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, did we get it? Uh, yes. Uh, Hraith and fucking rules. Uh, the Hraith Demption was a little late, but it was not so late that it was irrelevant, which is what I was thinking was going to happen, so I'm, I'm glad for that glad to be wrong and i'm glad that he used his chips arm to save them uh let's see uh serene is fine uh, i'm okay with, with her with her arc i would almost classify her as memorable yeah almost, almost. memorable uh, Rodin was was interesting enough to keep my attention for sure um and even the smaller characters are good enough with particular emphasis here on keen uh, being Driak Crushthroat. Uh, that was an interesting twist that I did not at all see coming at all in any way. And yeah, like I said, the weakest link here is probably Tellery, but it wasn't like egregiously bad. Uh, it wasn't you know like one dimensional like Phylon. It was it was it was pretty good. So I'm good good with that. Give it a check plus. That's a good one. <laughs> The next one, I uh, number five, this is, I guess, if this were a shorter book, I would have held tighter to this as a concept. But the fact that this book is over 500 pages, it's okay that this didn't come true. Uh, number five, I had make a tight, twisty plot. Um, because the further you expand, the less work you do in developing this world. But then again, there are 500 and some pages to this book. You have plenty of time to develop the world in those pages. <laughs> and he does. This was kind of a rambly plot, but that's not such a bad thing. Um, it's a big, long book. It's not going to be all punches. That said, we really didn't need the fucking embroidery scene. And the, <laughs> the payoff for it was like, oh, we're going to learn how to sword fight. And then they do for five seconds, and then they quit. So, like, why even? Why? <laughs> and then the queen dies. And the queen dies, and they go, oh, shit, never mind. <laughs> the most relevant part of the learning to sword fight was setting up that Shudin can do Tai Chi magic. <laughs> so legitimately, yeah. that gets, that, yeah, that gets more discussion by the end of the book than them actually sword fighting. Um, in summary, uh, I didn't get everything I wanted, but I got enough that I'm satisfied. Uh, because 
to quote my episode zero notes that I didn't say out loud because I didn't want to kick a beehive. Uh, episode zero, back of the book. Oh, fuck no. Sam is a movable curmudgeon. <laughs> and, and I've moved on from that. This is a good... Uh, I, like, if I had to give a number to this book, I would say it's like a 7 to 7.5 out of 10. So it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay. okay. I, I noted in our uh, pre-episode uh, chat going over what we were going to say that I was certainly not going to require anyone to make any sort of rating scale decision. But I appreciate that you did. I'll, I'll, uh, I guess I should mark that down somewhere. Seven point five out of ten <laughs> from Sam. Seven point five out of ten. So pretty good. Not great. Pretty good. We need to clarify though. Is this like a a video game scoring scale or a movie scoring scale? Because <laughs> a game that gets a seven point five is like not that great. But a movie, like a movie getting a 7.5, that like that's pretty good. That's like you got a decent amount of critics on your side. Right. I, I guess like the way to compare it for me is like versus my music, I guess. Uh, because I'm, as Justin or anybody can attest, I'm very serious about my music. I have a ton of songs on my, on my music player. You also curate uh, significantly. I curate the shit out of it, yes. Uh and even like two st- one star songs I don't have on my iPod because that's stupid. <laughs> Why would you have a one star song on your iPod? I don't know. But like even a two star song, if I'm in a certain mood, a two star song can be pretty good. So this I would say is like a three star. Like you know, you listen to it maybe like once or twice a week, and you can bop along to it. You know, so I'd say it's a three star book according to that scale like i don't regret that i read this i think i had a fun time and i think he did legitimately win me over um but it wasn't like my favorite book of all time it was okay all right there you go all right i'm going to arbitrarily declare that we're going to alternate between new readers and past readers so bath you're up oh my god (laughs) uh yeah i i feel like i'm on a similar boat of the overall vibe being Like, I had a good time. I think the best way I can articulate this is, like, I had a good time reading this book. And whenever, like, a few at a few points in my life, I've been like, I want to read, like, The Cosmere, TM. And then that's just the next year and a half of my life. And I'm always happy to start with Elantris. But there are points where I just, like, pick up Mistborn and read it. And I don't think I've ever done that with Elantris specifically. So still good, still enjoyable, good sort of character study vibes. Uh, not my favorite. Um, I think we... Well, I'll, I'll pull a Caleb and start with criticisms, then go to to, to Pazis. There's parts of this that don't really... Like, if it was written today, I would be like, hmm, we doing this today? Um, I've talked extensively about how women in this book are written. Uh, we've talked extensively about Rayodin doing blackface. Um, we have not talked extensively about something I wanted to, to uh, put a pin on. Uh, the character of Aiden, or Adian, however you want to say it. Uh, Word of Brandon has confirmed that he is an autistic character, and Word of Brandon has also confirmed that it's not particularly great representation <laughs> of mm. autism. It's, like, very, like, early 2000s, like, largely nonverbal mathematics savant. That's like, that's pretty much all there is to him that feels very stereotypical pop culture 
Um, and then like he the Shayad is completed and he can suddenly speak and I feel like that has weird implications. So not um, that's another thing that's like doesn't quite pass the smell test today, but also we have several other characters coming down the line in the Cosmere who are autistic and are some of my very favorites. So much with Serene is not a very well-written female character, but we've got Vin and others coming down the pipeline, so I look forward to that. Same boat with Aiden. Aiden, however you want to say it. I agree that the 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 you know this does not exactly have the tightest plot. There is, but like I mentioned earlier in this this summary, it's almost more of a character study um, of our our main trio, and there there are points of that main trio. It's like. Sometimes Rayodin smacks a little bit too perfect for me, and you know, again, we've talked extensively about how Serene is written, but this is where we transition into the positives. Overall, I have a blast reading the about these three. Like Sam, totally agree. Prathen slaps. Love reading about whatever the hell he's got going on. Um, you know, Rayodin setting up a zombie co-op, dope. Uh, like, there's there's some good bones in there, Serene, and I do enjoy sections of it. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I, 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 I don't like, like, putting numerical ratings on it, so I will eschew the, the numbers, but I will, I will give a thumbs up and then say how much I'm looking forward to Stormlight <laughs> and, and other books coming down the line. Interesting. Only one thumbs up, though, rather than two. <laughs> I was I was holding a pair of tweezers that I was fidgeting with in my other hand, so I only physically did one thumbs up in this uh, visual medium. I guess I could do a thumbs up around the tweezer. Hmm. Let me think on this. All right. While you think on this, uh, <laughs> I think we'll we'll go to to Caleb next. Uh, yeah, I'm in a pretty similar boat as as uh, everybody else. I think. I think this is. I enjoyed this quite a bit. There's a lot to love in here. There's also a lot that's not could could be better. A little clunky from time to time. Um, I, I'm just kind of I'm thinking about what makes this book not work as well as like the Mistborn books. And like I think one major part of it is I, Beth is right that it's kind of a character study of our three main characters, and I think those aspects of it work really well. I really like Rayodin. I really like Raythan. I remember Serene. Um, <laughs> Almost. And I, I think where it is a little bit weaker is that I think back to Mistborn and I love Ham and I love Breeze and we get to know a lot about clubs and, you know, all of these side characters you really grow to get to know. And then even the characters you're not really supposed to like, um, I still find really interesting. I, I think um, uh, Straff is a really interesting villain to check in on, even though some of his plotline with the boys and stuff got really funky. I still think he's like a really interesting kind of side villain um, and stuff like that. And there's just not a lot of like, a lot of the side characters did not hit me in the same way in Elantris as they did in, in Mistborn. Diloph was really fascinating. It was really good. That was really cool to make him the villain by the end of it. But like the whole Dangerous Knights crew of Royal and Eondel and uh, Shuden, like I just, I didn't really feel like I got to know them at all. And I, I think a pivotal example of this is in the final act. We start shaking in on Luke Hell and I'm like, I don't really... I don't know what this guy's deal is. He's been described as handsome and he has sour melons and that's pretty much it. 
And I, I don't feel nearly as emotionally attached to him as I do any of the main three. And so the fact that we keep he's our POV doesn't have quite the same punch as like checking in with Breeze in the middle of the Battle of Luthadel. It's just it's it's just not the same. And I guess that was by the end of a second book instead of the first one. But even then, I feel like I it's just the connection there is not quite as strong. And then just looking at the third act and things that happen. I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff. I love a lot of the way certain plot lines wrap up. But then there's like a weird... It it also just feels very weird to me of like the entire final sequence takes place in Tiad, which is a country we have barely seen in person, not been talked about very much aside from the fact that Serene is from there. We've spent so much like politicking on Aralon. The fact that we're not even there for the final sequence just feels very strange. It, there's there's a bit of disjointedness, I think, to the way um, the last few scenes are laid out. That kind of felt odd to me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There's just... I, Beth used the phrase of, there's a lot of good bones here. And I think that's true for the entire book. Of There's a lot of good bones. Um, I, 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 I agree with Sam that the new Elantris thing is really cool. Everything with... Um, I, I, I'm not giving enough credit to Galgon. Galgon is a great side character um, as well. Um, there's a few in there that I really, really liked, but as a whole, I didn't get to feel like I knew the cast as well. And I feel like that just kind of makes the overall, when you're building a big overall, like wide branching story, it makes it just feel a little bit weaker when there's less things for you to latch onto. But I, I quite liked um, Rayodin kind of, yeah, building this, this, um, uh, the the co-op, as Beth described it, is a really good way to describe it. I, I, I really liked that aspect of things. Um, I really liked his friendship with Galadon and kind of giving him hope, despite the fact that he's so hopelessly pessimistic. Hraithan's entire Hraithemption uh, arc was fantastic. I really loved that. Um, and I every time Serene started to plot, I really wanted to like it. And I feel like there's a lot there that they could have turned into um and i'm a little bit disappointed by the fact that it never quite reached the heights i was looking forward to but i i still enjoyed myself reading quite a few of the serene segments um even if i do think that was probably the weakest storyline of the book um so yeah a, a lot of just kind of 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 retweeting a lot of opinions that have been said already um i i enjoyed this book on the whole even though i think it's weak in some points i think i would give this book seven bloody children's wigs out of ten. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is why I eschew the numbers. Right, that was a thing. You did that for all the Mistborn books, didn't you? <laughs> what, giving, giving a numbered uh, rating? Yeah, of course. <laughs> that reminded me of two things that I meant to say but forgot to say. Can I jump back in here or Justin, I can wait for after you. No, it's God too late. It. You no, already said all your thoughts. You're not allowed. <laughs> no, go ahead. Hooray. Um, I forgot to bring up the whole dang magic system of this book, which I, I think I'm in a similar boat of Sam of like, as an original concept, I'm not a huge fan of hand wavy magic, but I think he did some really interesting stuff with it. A, the fact that it's straight up broken for half the book and then only quasi fixed for a fair chunk of the book. I think that's very cool. And as we get more into the Arcanum that it's like, so tied to geography and birthplace like that is very interesting and then i think that the move to tiad for the finale is just to 
keep nerfing Aeon Door <laughs> and just make sure we're far away from Arlon so it's less powerful so that there's still like a threat posed to our heroes at the end which is like a little clunky I, I do believe um and then speaking of the ending, I uh, am not done talking about how women are written in this book, apparently, because Serene's only contribution to the last part of this book is as a hostage. And it makes me angry. Even the part where we were like, since when was Hraithan a master swordsman? Serene is right there! We know she's an accomplished swordswoman, and it's still Hraithan suddenly gains sword powers while she looks for a place to hide. She sword fights Diloph for about three seconds and then gets wounded and goes, I'm so sorry, Raiden, I couldn't do it. Hraithan needs to save us instead. You're right. I almost remembered that part. <laughs> okay, I think that's it. Justin. <laughs> Can I, I also forgot to talk about the magic. Yay! <laughs> that reminded me. Um, yeah, I actually, I, I really liked the, the whole magic system and I really appreciated how much of it, how much emphasis was placed on Raiden spends like all of his free time on this and no one else cares so then when you get to the end of the book and Raiden's the only one who's actually good at it that also feels earned of like he's put the work in it's not that's not coming out of nowhere this is a magic system that requires skill and we have watched this character attain that skill rather than just being you know I've, I've talked to death about how I, I don't love some of the places Ellen's character arc goes the fact that Ellen I I know we have a plot reason for why, but the fact that Ellen is just magically super powerful at Allomancy in the third book, I found really, I, I didn't love. And I know he's not as skilled with it, but the fact that he he just is super powerful, I, I didn't really like. And I do appreciate how Rayodin puts in the work to be good at Aeondor, so then when the time comes, he's pretty good with it. I thought that was also really well established. All right. But you're not changing the number of bloody children's wigs. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, yeah. So as for as for me, I think I mentioned when we started this that uh, Elantris I don't reread often. Um, it had been quite some time since I had read it last uh, when when we started this episode, uh, and overall I. I feel like it was it was swingier than I remember in that the parts that I liked I really liked and and felt like I had been missing out by not going back to them more often and then the parts that I didn't like I really quite didn't like and so I think <laughs> we we ended up in a place I think very probably very similar numerically if I had to in that I I liked this book I like other Sanderson books much better. Hraithan, definitely great to read about. Uh, Aeon Door, I, I both wish we knew more about. Like, I love the idea of the of building modifiers on top of each other, uh, and how that would all work. And I'd love to see. It doesn't even have to be Brandon. I would just love to see someone like try to actually design that system and have it make some logical sense, and then get to study it. I don't know if it would fit in the book. But I I I do like Andor. I also quite like uh, the thing that was touched on in the Ars Arcanum, where we have a a similar sort of kind of base power that gets expressed in different ways. Uh, and I hope we see more of that in the future uh, with the other 
sellish magic systems. I, I think I'll I'll defer to to Beth especially on some of the the representation issues that that she's brought up. I will second those. I will also second the Brandon does it much better later in the Cosmere, and so I'm comparing it to that as well. But yeah, I like I absolutely think that I obviously wasn't going to skip a Cosmere book for this podcast, but <laughs> like Beth, if I'm if I'm rereading some Sanderson. I won't often go back to Elantris, but I am absolutely glad that we did this uh, and probably glad that we did this when we did it. So I, I think it is a, we have now, we have a good base of, of Sanderson to, to go from. So yeah, that's, uh, that's Elantris. And now we're not allowed to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Darn it. It's a good thing the next story is set on the same planet. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of sellish magic systems yeah Ooh. so yeah we are we're combining our emperor's soul episode zero into into this here uh and we're gonna go to that now and i'm not sure how this is gonna go and this might only last a little bit of time we'll see uh because the emperor's soul is a short story uh, compared to elantris being right around two hundred thousand words uh, the Emperor's Soul is a mere thirty-two thousand. Okay, that's that's they keep calling it a novella. That that's a novella, Justin. Short story is like <laughs> two thousand or less. I feel yes, like I, I I should say novella. You're you're correct. Um, two thousand might be stretching it, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's a that's a story. That's a chunk still. It's enough that we will get two episodes out of it. Is is yeah. my plan. Uh, and we're going to be reading it from Arcanum Unbounded, which means it is right in the middle of a, a larger book. Uh, and so just to to make sure that we had at least something to look at, uh, I did send everyone the uh, the back of the book of the the original paperback printing, which I think was the first physical printing of uh, The Emperor's Soul. So we do have that. Do we just do we just want me to like read it so our audience has you it? You know what? Too? Yeah, let's let's engage in this auditory medium of podcasting. Beth, <laughs> what, what what do we have coming up here? Well, as the big dramatic text at the top says, the fate of an empire rests in the hands of a thief. When Shy is caught replacing the Moon Scepter with her nearly flawless forgery, she must bargain for her life. An assassin has left the Emperor Ashravan without consciousness, a circumstance concealed only by the death of his wife. If the Emperor does not emerge after his hundred-day mourning period, the rule of the Heritage Faction will be forfeit, and the Empire will fall into chaos. Shai is given an impossible task, to create, to forge, a new soul for the Emperor in fewer than one hundred days. But her soul forgery is considered an abomination by her captors. She is confined to a tiny, dirty chamber, guarded by a man who hates her, spied upon by politicians, and trapped behind a door sealed in her own blood. Shai's only possible ally is the Emperor's most trusted counselor, Geotona, who struggles to understand her true talent. Time is running out for Shai. Forging, while deducing the motivations of her captors, she needs a perfect plan to escape. Ellipses. Tunnel. <laughs> It's like she hasn't even seen Shawshank Redemption. 
there's there's actually a well in the middle of her cell, and if she <gasps> uses the well, she might be able to get out. <laughs> yeah, Justin, why didn't you put that in your map? I, I was going to say. Speaking of maps. Yeah, we, we will absolutely be, be putting this on social media for y'all to see, but uh, Caleb demanded a map uh, right at the end of last episode. I said, you know what? Fine, I'll draw one for you. Uh, it does not have every location that we'll see in the book, but it does cover a pretty significant amount of it. Uh, it is a single square room with a single door that is labeled Shy's Prison Room. Hell yeah. It's like that episode of uh, uh, Seinfeld, the Chinese restaurant. Or the parking garage as well. Uh, parking garage, they walk around quite a bit in there. Chinese restaurant was even more contained. I do love me a good bottle episode. They're good for the budget. They are good for the budget, which, uh, and this is actually a, a thing, I, I think I may have mentioned this like way back when we were first talking about Sanderson adaptations. Uh, the Emperor's Soul was actually uh, the first uh, of Brandon's works to get optioned as a movie deal, which confused Brandon, given that, as I've previously drawn, almost all of this book takes place in a single room. Uh, and he said, really, that's the, the one you want to go for? The one that has like 10 characters in one room? Um, and the the explanation for it is a, a more practical one uh, in that one that does make it a, a an easier an easier option for adaptation, movie budgets being what they are nowadays, maybe you do want to adapt the one with 10 characters in one room. Uh, but also, uh, and this is looking just a bit ahead uh the the company that optioned it was uh dmg uh, which is a large uh, chinese movie production company uh, and they were they were specifically looking for uh, fantasy properties which were popular at the time that could uh could support more asian actors because that was pretty uncommon uh, probably still is i haven't kept track and the the location that we're going to see is definitely uh, influenced by, I believe, specifically Korea, uh, but it, it does have um, more of an Asian aesthetic, and the the cast would be uh, largely Asian actors if you if you did ad adapt it. So uh, that didn't happen. Uh, there's been all sorts of stuff with with Brandon's movie deals, but uh, I do kind of want to see the like student film version of emperor soul i think that would be cool <laughs> <laughs> or the 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 stage play version that too stage play you say i i do caleb <laughs> interesting <laughs> i am excited for this one i'm also one excited. it's just fun to to get brandon in a shorter form <laughs> but uh two it's just quite good it is very good um I, d I don't want to bias too much i mean we did see in the, the previous about the author it has won a hugo so that that does mean something uh, but and it'll be a bit of a contrast going from brandon's first book to one where i think he has some excellent prose and and a really compelling story yeah caught my eye that it won a hugo i mean that's that's not nothing and somewhat surprising given that at this point, Brandon is one of the biggest names in the, the fantasy writing world. Uh, 
it took a bit for that first award win. Uh, and I, I I don't think there were like any super notable snubs or anything. I think it was just the kind of like in in a lot of years there was just one book that was better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm taking a brief look at his uh, Wikipedia page. He has to have won some like fantasy specific ones, right? Well, the the, the Hugo is sci-fi fantasy. Uh, yeah, he so he won. The Hugo for Best Novella for Emperor's Soul. And that's it in terms of Hugos. Is that... Hang on. What am I hanging on for? Just, no, we can keep going. I just... Okay, it's not named after Victor Hugo. <laughs> it's like famous sci-fi <laughs> actor Victor... Or sci-fi author Victor Hugo. But no, it's named after Hugo Gernsback. My mistake. Yes. Uh, who is a a founder of a uh, of the kind of first sci-fi magazine. There's a funny picture on his Wikipedia article of him wearing television goggles, which are hell yeah. Ye old VR headset. Oh, hell yeah. Everybody <laughs> go look that up. I'm looking at it right now. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you happy you did that, dear listener? Since, since you all did that when I told you to, it's great. Clearly, we have a lot to say about the Emperor's Soul. Look, I'm also very excited. There's just not a lot to go on account of this. This I'm excited to see this map, although there's not too much to talk about in the map. Um, I, too, love a good bottle episode, and I am excited by this premise. And I'm legitimately already starting to brainstorm casting, and that's also exciting. It's... it's like like has been said, there's not a lot to go on, but it's I'm still hyped. Will I cast Dan Vogelbach as anybody? We'll see. <laughs> he needs to show up in every single... <laughs> I'm going to preemptively say probably not, but I can't stop you. Dan Vogelbach as Hoyd to make sure he's in every Cosmere property. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, looking like this is clearly going to take place in a different area of Cell. But we yes. get two names, and one of them is Gaotona, which sounds rather aeonic. I don't know if it's meant to, but that's a lot of vowels in one name. And I'm curious if, if I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud. I will say just to, to set a stage, uh, it, is, it is on the same planet. It is on Cell, and there will be um, the... The, the magic then may have some some similarities. Uh, don't expect a significant Elantris connection. This is this is yeah, that's fair. This can be read as a standalone. I think Brandon actually recommends it as one of the possible places to start in the Cosmere. That's partially because it's hmm. only thirty thousand words. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited to get to this one. Uh, does anyone? I don't know how predictions are going to go for this because we we've got very little to go on here. We're going to do one episode. We're going to try to predict and then we're going to do one more episode and be done. <laughs> well, we'll have to rely on a lot of uh, self-reported chip and putt predictions, yes. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can try to come up with something. Um I guess I honestly the most the question that's most up in the air is legitimately, is Hoyt going to show up in this one too or not? Um, my brain's telling me 
Technically, yes, but he won't be referred to by name. That's my guess. Okay, that that's something I can put down. Um, and I guess also if she's if she's in a cell like the entire time, there's a chance that this whole first paragraph is not not exactly what's actually happening, and she just has no way of of learning what's happening outdoors. But they're giving her a deadline. Deadline has a normal plot reason, so I'm guessing all this is true, but her captives want her to create the soul for more nefarious purposes than just restoring the Emperor and, and keeping the Empire alive. And that's, that's all I've got for now. And I predict that Shay will escape. Okay. That was actually, if we didn't have anything, <laughs> I was going to ask, like... We see on the uh, we we see on it here uh, that she has been captured and or, or that that she's uh, in prison and that she has this task being set to her. So does she escape and does she do the thing? I'm so confused. I guess we'll find out what exactly the fuck this means. Um, but she's given the task to create a new soul. But the people who captured her and set her to this task think that the creation of a new soul is an abomination. Mm-hmm. There is uh there is some tension there, perhaps. <laughs> There's a little little question mark there. There's also like the uh it's I don't know. There's there's stuff about this premise that are like, hmm, not everything adds up, and I feel like it's probably intentional. Um, which is why I feel like there's something something afoot. I think my other big guess is that she will essentially have a chance to escape, but then she realizes it's more important for the wider world that she finish the job. But I also I feel like her captors are up to something, so she'll finish the job and then wait for them to take her out of her cell because she's like, I've got the soul, here it is. And they'll be like, all right. And then they'll lead her out of her cell, and then she'll do more cool shit. But she will not, my guess is, she will not take her first opportunity to escape because she'll realize that what she's doing is actually more important. That's my guess. Okay. What if it's like she she leaves the soul gift-wrapped on the bench, and then there's a hole out to the garden, and then that's how the book ends. Ooh. And then there's a postscript. Mm. And, and a toy. <laughs> Lloyd eats a frog. <laughs> Where <laughs> the emperor eats a frog. <laughs> okay, here's a here's a Cosmere wide prediction. Do we ever actually see Hoyt eat that frog? <laughs> I'm gonna say no. I don't think so. Prediction. Okay. All right. I think that gives us that gives us something to start on, and it will yeah. be a a very quick. Uh, you know, we we don't have chapters and chapters to sit around. Uh, slowly being introduced to things so i'm looking forward to uh to getting into this uh, as for the logistics of it itself i was gonna say we're going to since we're pulling from arcanum unbounded we're gonna need to be very specific yes. about what pages people are allowed to look at yes uh, and fortunately uh the emperor's soul starts quite close to the beginning of the book uh we're going to start on uh, in our uh, hardback uh, Arcanum Unbounded, we're going to start on page 19, which has a big 
uh, kind of splash art that says the emperor's soul that will get us to our book uh, the chapters are labeled with days uh, as the the 100 day deadline was uh, was quite prominently mentioned uh, i'm not going to say what day we're going to read up to uh, because that could give you some indication of of how things are going uh, so I will instead say uh, that we are going to read through page 70, uh, which is uh, eight chapters. We're going to read eight chapters. We're going to read okay. up to page 70. Uh, and that will be our first section. Uh, and then in the next episode, we'll do the rest of the book. Is it 70 inclusive or 70 exclusive? Uh, it is 70 inclusive. Okay. Page 70 is about half full, and then the chapter ends, and on page 71, the next chapter starts. All right. Okay, I think it's time for us to wrap this up so that we can go read some more book. Hell yeah. As we go to uh, another book, more episodes, you can find those episodes on our website. That's alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, you can also send us emails at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, those go to Beth and I first, so if you want to chat about bigger Cosmere stuff, you can do that there, uh, or pass something along to the whole crew. Uh, you can also follow us on our social media, which apparently will be critical for this episode, because we've got a couple of things that we need to actually show you. <laughs> uh, yeah, both visual aids and, just as a reminder, here's what the fuck we're talking about and reading. <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, you can find those... Uh, on Twitter at always another pod, Instagram at always another pod, and Mastodon at always another pod at kind.social. Uh, that I think covers everything from me. Uh, I would like to go read a novella. Yeah. Hell hey, yeah. everybody, send us your cookie recipes. You know what? Let's do. Yeah, I'm with that. Let's let's get some cookie yeah. recipes. I have an underutilized KitchenAid mixer to help me utilize. And I have COVID. <laughs> and I'm Sam. <laughs> and I'm Caleb. <laughs> <laughs>